listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we're dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you're listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. I'm going to give you guys a word here. We've got just a little bit of time left. Um, which if I say a little bit of time, that means that I'll try to keep it short, which will be a mediocre-sized sermon in terms of time. Amen? But I've got a really important word for you that earlier this week um, in our discipleship evangelism class that I, I ministered on this. One of the first times I can ever remember this happening, the Lord said, I want you to minister that again. And so what I talked about was, was how we see God or really understanding God's nature. And if we don't understand who God is properly, then we can give a wrong impression to the people that we come in contact with. Basically, whatever impression we have of the Lord is the, is the impression that we are going to relay to other people. It really is, is our filter. And so sometimes it's not even, it's not even always about um, the words that you speak, but it's about the heart that you carry. It's the way you carry yourself that you can have a, a belief about the Lord and people can draw conclusions from the way that you respond to situations based on your faith in who God really is or who he is not. Is this making sense? So this is a, this is a filter. So when we believe God to be a particular way and we see him in a particular way, and we really believe that at the level of our heart, that's what's going to be expressed when we go through the situations and issues of life. And one thing I am um, extremely confident in uh, is that we have gone through trials and that we will have to go through more trials before this day is over. And how we respond to them and how we communicate about who God is in that process makes all the difference for how other people view God, for, for how other people see who God really is. And so we want to have a proper understanding of the true nature of God. And this has been really misunderstood. And for some of you guys, it's going to be like, yes, I know this. I've heard this. And so just amen me and pretend you're being blessed, even if you're not. But we can always receive more, amen, concerning things. But uh, this is something that I really believe is at the heart of God to understand his nature and that, that he is a good God. He is a loving God. He is a gentle God. He is a kind God. He's a, he's a God that has favor towards us. He's a God that wants good for us. And I'm looking and, I, and, I'm, and I'm thinking about like lots of different situations of different people in here and how you've gone through some really rotten stuff. And I'm so thankful, it blesses me, that you've come out on the other side of it or even in the middle of it and you said, you know what? I don't know what's going on here and I don't know all the details, but I do know that God is good. And that is the way that we are supposed to conduct our lives as we go through and deal with situations, that we never lose heart at the fact that God is good and he's calling us to tell us that he's good. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And so um, this is really important that we get a hold of this. And I've found, and the reason, the main reason that I felt so impressed to share on this is because... Many times, again, when we go through things and our response of, oh my gosh, this is torture, or I just can't believe this is happening again, or I'm so aggravated, and I'm preaching to myself in the middle of this as well as everybody else, amen, that when we respond, we communicate to other people that God just isn't really good enough or great enough to pull us through this situation. 
And it is extremely important as believers that we have a proper filter concerning who the Lord is. And one of the reasons that we get confused is when you read, and if you don't read it through a right filter, you don't read it through proper understanding, proper discernment, you can read the Old Covenant, you can read the Old Testament, and then you can read the New And you can wonder what in the world is going on here. Because when you read, especially in all of the epistles and you read Paul's writings, it's all about the grace of God, the goodness of God, the favor of God. But when you read in many places in the old covenant without a right mindset, all you see is the harshness of God. And you see the wrath of God. And you see God coming down on sin and God coming down on people. You see those things and you're like, who is the real God? And then when people stay in a place of confusion... They'll, they'll believe that God believes towards them or think towards them depending on how they're behaving at that particular time in their life. And so it's like, oh, you know, I lost somebody close to me. I guess God's upset with me because I haven't been doing things right or whatever. You know, you could fill in the blanks with all that. But we need to understand that God is a good God. He's the God that changes not. He's the God that's the, the same. Uh, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always the same. He's always with us. He's always for us. The difference really between the old covenant, to put it in extremely simple terms, uh, between the old covenant and the new covenant is just how God relates to people. And so back then, before Jesus, he related to them uh, largely through their works and whether they were really trusting him or not, or not. And on this side of the cross, he relates to us on the fact that Jesus fully trusts God. He relates to us. I don't think I've ever said that before. That's a really good way to put it. He relates to us based on the fact that Jesus fully has faith and trust in God. Amen. So our relationship with the Lord is because of Jesus' faithfulness. And when we say yes to God, we get all of the benefits All of the blessing comes to us because of Jesus' faithfulness and not because of our unfaithfulness or because of our unbelief or whatever it is. Amen. That's an awesome place to be at with the Lord. But if you don't understand that and you experience negative things, you could start to look at the Lord and go, God, what is wrong? What is going on here? You must be mad at me. You must be, ups- you must be upset with me. And I've met many people, and I've ministered this to hundreds of people over the years where they'll be going through something, and they'll say, well, ultimately, I guess God just wants me to have this. I guess God just needed my mother you know, uh, to heaven, and even though she was 60 years old or whatever the situation is, I guess God just, just needed her there. And they've got this wrong impression about the Lord. And if you don't believe right about God, how can you have faith for him to do things in your life that you need to have done that you need if you're believing wrongly about him? It's really important that we have a right impression about the Lord. And I'm going to show you a bunch of things through the scriptures really quick here. But, you know, just on a really basic level, you know, if you were to, if you were to come up to me and see, when I, when I see people that will say things about the nature of God, about the character of God, I can, I can instantly, pretty much instantly know whether they really know God or not, or they know about God. Huge difference. You can know about God and a lot of the, the way we've been raised in different circles and whatever, we've learned about God, but we don't really know him. And when I had an, an encounter with the Lord and I got filled with the Holy Ghost, I was 18 years old driving in my car. I came out of that experience going to my, my Baptist friends. God bless the Baptist. I love the Baptist, but I was going to my Baptist friends and I was saying, man, God doesn't want us to be sick. 
And I had never heard of Andrew Womack or anybody else that would teach on the fact that God has delivered us from sickness and we have authority over it and, and he loves us and he's a good guy. I'd never heard anybody say anything like that. But I encountered him. I encountered his nature and I went out telling people that God actually wants us. And I can remember this one instance with my friend and we were sitting at, at Taco Bell. And I was like, you know, uh, God, he doesn't really, he doesn't want us to be sick. He's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy. I mean, if God wants you to be sick, you'll be sick. If he wants you to be healed, you'll be healed. And I'm like, I, I can't relate to that, man. I said, I know that's what we've heard, but I experienced the Lord, and I just can't believe that he's not a good God, that he's not a good dad anymore. I can't, I can't believe it. And then I went a step further, and then I thought they thought I was really a, a heretic, him, and then later this other guy. And I said, God doesn't want us to be poor. And they're like, well, are you into that whole prosperity gospel? And I'm like, I don't even know what, what's the prosperity gospel. Now I'm like, oh, I see what they're, I see what they're getting at. And I was like, no, God, he's just a good God. He's just a good dad. He just wants us to be blessed. And see, I, even though I didn't have any biblical understanding of it, I encountered the Lord. I knew him, and nobody could come and tell me something different about him because of what I knew about him personally. And this is what I'm talking about to where it gets so deep in you that you know God's nature, his character, who he is, that when things come up, you don't question it anymore. You don't question, God, do you really love me? God, is this really, is this from you? Is this situation, is this bad thing coming from you or do you want me to have it? You know, sometimes with people, it's like, it's not so much, oh, I know God would never cause it, but he will allow it. And that's just nonsense. Can I just be blunt? That is total nonsense. I had this argument with this guy one time, and finally I realized he is, uh, his elevator don't go all the way to the top or something. Because it was like, he was saying, oh, God, he won't cause things, but he will allow things. And see, to me, God is a person. He is a person. It's not just to me, but he is a person. And, you know, if you were to, if you were to uh, say those kind of things about a person, you know, if there was just in the naturally speaking, if, if there was one of our kids was, was sick and, you know, you came up to me and somehow or another, you knew that Liz didn't cause the sickness, but she allowed the sickness. You know, I would look at you and say, you're a total, you're a total idiot. Excuse me for being blunt, I guess. I would say Liz would not, not only would she not cause it, she would do anything within her power to stop it, and she wouldn't allow it to teach them some kind of whatever. See, when you know somebody, you really know them, you'll get to know their nature and their character, and you won't believe things about them anymore that aren't true. I mean, this would just be like if, if you came up to me and you said, hey, I got to tell you that I, uh, I was driving down 61 here, and I saw Liz and uh, she had a paper bag in her hand that looked like it was in the shape of a bottle. And I'm going to tell you, she was stumbling all over the place. Um, but the story gets worse, actually. Um, this, this guy was driving a car, and there was two other guys in the car, too. And, and uh, she stuck her leg out and showed a little leg, and they swung by and, you know, they picked her up, and she jumped in the car. And I don't know where they went, but it did not look good at all. Repent. Now, <laughs> I need to repent after telling this story. Do you think that if somebody came up and told me that, that I would believe them? I would say either you 
saw somebody do that that you thought was Liz, but obviously really was not, or you are lying through your teeth. That would be my response. So when people come up to me and they say things like, oh, you know, God, he just, he just sovereignly allows this. And, you know, he just wanted this sickness or whatever. You could sit and argue scripture all day long, but what you can't argue is God's nature and God's character. Because for me, I had to, I've had to learn to step back because it was always like, don't you say that about, it'd be like, don't you say that about my wife? She would never do that. I feel that way about the Lord when people are like, oh, God gave me this and God took my mother, took my child or, you know, or I'm, I'm in the poor house and God was just trying to teach me something or, he, you know, I wasn't paying my tithes and he put me in the hospital and took my tithes out that way. Just stupid stuff that people say and they believe. It makes me rise up on the inside and say, how dare you say that about my God? He's a good God. He's a loving God. He's a gracious God. He only wants good for his children. And see, this is important that we keep this in our hearts so that when we have things come against us, we don't begin to turn against God thinking that he's responsible, but we look to him because he is the place where our help comes from. And also, we need to have answers for people that are in trouble. We need to have answers for people that are going through things. We need to have answers for people that lose someone too young. They lose a mother or a father or a child too young, and they blame God if we're not bold enough in a loving way during their time of of trouble to tell them the truth and say, look, I'm not sure what you've been told, but let me tell you something. God did not do this to your child. God didn't do this to your family. He's a good God. He's a loving God. We live in a fallen world where stuff happens, but I can promise you that it's not God's fault. So let me take you to some things in the scriptures really quickly. Are you with me so far? I believe this is really going to be a blessing to, to the ones that needed to hear it. Let me give you some scriptural backing for the things that I'm saying. Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And I heard, I've heard a few people say this, and I really like it, that, you know, uh, the, some people think the only difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is a blank piece of paper. <laughs> If you've ever looked in your Bible, maybe you've had a Bible before to where it was like the end after Malachi is the last uh, Bible in the Old Testament, and then there'll be a blank piece of paper there, and then there'll be the New Testament, and sometimes people think that is the only difference between the two, but praise God, there's a big difference. Thank you for the few of you that got that. I really appreciate it. Uh, so John chapter 1, and look here in verse 14. I love this. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. Notice I didn't say law for law, right? And it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, I'm overstating this because I want to make the point that you can see here straight from the word, there is a difference between the old covenant and how God related through people to people through the law of Moses and the new covenant and how God relates to people through grace and truth through what Jesus brought in. There is a distinct difference and it's extremely important that we understand this because I see people and 
If I have time, hopefully I'll get into this, but you could look at this on a couple of different levels. You could look at this on a personal level, or you could look at this on a national level, or a, a, even a global level, that when things happen that are, that are in the dispensation of grace that we're in now, catastrophe, tsunamis, earthquakes, whatever it is, people will go back and they'll look in the old covenant and they'll pull out scripture verses and they'll say, oh, here it is right here. It was prophesied about God's wrath coming, about God's judgment coming, and that's why these things happen. There's a really, it's really important to understand this, that there is a difference between God doing something and people pulling themselves out from underneath of God's covering. Because there are some really wicked, nasty things that happen in this world because people don't keep themselves underneath of the Lord. But even when they pull them out, you need to understand something, that there are already judgments in the earth that aren't God going, I'm punishing you because of what you're doing wrong. It's deeper or different than how a lot of people see things, but there are, there are things set in motion in the earth that happen just because the earth is broken, it's messed up, it's yearning for the return of the king, all for things to be set back in order, and things just happen, but it doesn't mean that it's God judging, and it doesn't... It doesn't matter what, there's always, whenever there's Hurricane Katrina, um, any of the, the wildfires, and I heard people saying the wildfires in California are God's judgment against California. No, it's hot and it's dry and there hasn't been rain. And so fires started and fires broke out. It wasn't God's judgment on California. And you know how I know that? It's because Jesus was the propitiation, and I'll explain that in a minute, not only of our sins, but for the entire world. You have to understand things dispensationally. There are different times and seasons in the earth and how God relates to people during those times and seasons. It's extremely important to understand this. So during the dispensation of grace that we live in right now, it's the age when Jesus set things in, and he brought in a, a new order that Jesus was the propitiation for not, not only for our sins, but for the entire world. And I believe that's Romans chapter 8, verse 20-ish, I think, somewhere around there. So he was the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, not only the believers, but for the whole world. And the word propitiation means that he is the appeasement of divine wrath by sacrificial offering. And let's go there to Romans 3 and 25. Can we pull Romans 3 and 25 up there? Let me show you this really quickly. There's actually three different places in the word that it talks about the word propitiation, which is not a word we use. Like who would understand that? But that's what the scriptures use. And it means the appeasement of divine wrath by sacrificial offering. And so it's very important that we understand that all sin must be punished. All sin must be punished. But during this time we're in right now, Jesus took the punishment for all of the sin upon him. Now there's coming a time, and you read in, the, in, in Revelation, there is coming a time when this dispensation will end, a new dispensation will begin, and the wrath of God will be poured out in tremendous measure that we do not want to experience, amen? And for the righteous, for the ones that are called his, for the ones that belong to him, they will escape that. They won't have to endure the wrath of God. 
I don't know how all the things are going to work in the end in terms of, you know, there's, there's people that say, yes, there's a rapture. People that say that there's not a rapture, but we go through, but God preserves us. I don't know how, how it all will work out, but I do know this. God always delivers the righteous. That is consistent from Genesis to Revelation. We see through the history of how God deals with man that he always delivers the righteous. Look here, and it says, in whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because his forbearance, in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Go to verse 26. And I don't think this is the verse that I wanted. He demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Powerful, but I wanted to go to 1 John chapter 2 is what I really meant to say. 1 John chapter 2 is the one that I'm looking for. You're all getting something out of this. 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to double check and make sure I'm on the right one here. Yes, that's the one I want. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. I want to pull this up so everybody can see this. It says, and he himself, speaking of Jesus, is the propitiation. He is the appeasement of divine wrath, of God's divine wrath. He appeased God's divine wrath by his sacrificial offering for our sins, speaking of who? Speaking of the church, right? Speaking of the children of God. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. We have to represent God properly in this time that we're living in. And this is why the, the letters and the messages that Paul wrote and delivered to the churches were all talking about the grace of God. It wasn't just God being nicer. Sometimes I look at, I look at that and I, and I listen to people and I think, well, they think God was just being a little bit nicer through Jesus. And it's like, all right, I'm going to just throw you a bone here. I'll send my son and uh, you know, I'm going to be nicer to you for a while. Actually, what he did was when he sent Jesus, Jesus died, he was buried and he rose again, ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit descended on the day of Pentecost and the church age began and a new dispensation came in to where he was no longer holding man's sins against them anymore. David said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sins. What was he talking about? He was talking about the man during this time, this dispensation, that God was not holding their sins against them. Now, the sin that he does hold against people is the rejection of Jesus. If you reject Jesus, that will be held against you and you will experience eternal damnation. I wish I could say that nicer, but that is the reality of what happens for people that reject Jesus. But their individual actions, God's not going, I'm punishing, I'm punishing you. Like that's how people often think about the Lord, but he's, that's not what he's doing. That's not how he's dealing with people. He's dealing with people in his graciousness and the righteousness that they have in Christ. And here's the deal, and here's, this is difficult sometimes for people to understand, but righteousness actually has been given to the whole world. He's already counted the entire world as being righteous. The only ones that are made righteous are the ones that put faith in him and call him Lord. But he's already considered the entire world righteous, and it will be determined whether they really are based on whether they put faith in Jesus or not. So until that time, God's wrath has actually been held back, not only from believers, but unbelievers alike, as it tells us in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. Amen? Is this making sense to some of you all? 
So the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let me show you this a little bit more. Isaiah chapter 61, and in verse 1, if we could pull this up on the screen, I want you to see this all for yourself. Very important. Isaiah chapter 61, and verse 1. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them, to those who are bound. Look here in verse 2. It says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord in the day of vengeance of our God. Now hold your thought there, and let me show you something really powerful here. In Luke chapter 4, and this is where Jesus is in the synagogue, and he begins to read from this exact same passage out of Isaiah. So Luke chapter 4, and we're going to go to verse 18. This, you're going to like this. This is awesome. It says in Luke 4 and 18, and we're going to read through verse 20. Can we pull that up there? Here it is. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? We just read it out of Isaiah. This is what Jesus is reading. It says, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, what did it say in Isaiah after he said that? And it says, and the day of vengeance of our God. Look at what it says next. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. <laughs> Jesus closed the book on the wrath of God. This is not only a, a national thing, but this is a personal thing. God is not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He's not upset with you. He's not bringing destruction to you. He's not causing things. He's not allowing things. He only has favor towards you because Jesus closed the book on the wrath of God. God will teach us, and actually there's a whole teaching that in a revelation about the fact that if you don't receive correction from the Lord, then you're an illegitimate son. Hebrews chapter 12 or 13, somewhere around there. You're an illegitimate son or daughter. Any real true son or daughter will receive correction from the Lord. But his correction doesn't come by striking you with a cancer. It doesn't come by taking your child away from you. It doesn't come by putting you in the poorhouse. It comes by his spirit dealing with you on a personal level to reveal things to you that like, don't do this because it's going to destroy your life. Keep doing this because this is going to help you. Stop doing this. Stop saying the things that you're saying. That's how God deals with people. But he doesn't come in and just bring destruction in our life. That's the God of the Old Testament and how he used to deal with people. The God of the New Testament, which is the same God, he actually deals with us in wrath, but all the wrath got placed on Jesus. So we get the benefits and the blessing of God and not the wrath. It says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. This is Galatians chapter 3. It says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And when Jesus hung on the tree, he took the curse of the law upon him so that the blessing, the blessing of Abraham would come upon us through faith in him. It didn't say the curse, but it said the blessing. The blessing would come upon us, not the curse. You know what the curse of the law was? You don't do this or you did this wrong. This is going to come upon you. You know what also was the curse of the law? The blessing. 
<laughs> you're like, what the heck are you talking about? Are you crazy? Did you take a crazy pill? Read verse, I think it's Deuteronomy, what, 28, where it talks about the blessing and the, and the curse. Is that right? Or is Deuteronomy 8? I get those confused. 28. The first 14 verses talk about the blessing and the verse 15 through like 50 or whatever talk about the curse. And the curse says, oh, this is, you're going to like this. The curse says that because you did this, I will do this. Because you didn't do this, I'm going to do this to you. And because you disobeyed here, I'm going to do this to you. And it's like, it's like all of these boils and tumors and you're going to lose your land and your, your wife's going to leave you or whatever. All these really horrible things. That's the curse of the law. The blessing of the law is also a curse. You know why? Because it says, if you do this, then I will bless you. If you do this, then I will bless you. If you do this, then I will bless you. God came in through Jesus and said, you don't have to do anything. And whatever you do bad doesn't remove you or put you into my blessing. But it's only because you put faith in my son who did the perfect work to bring you into the full favor of what I have to offer you. Guess what? Even when you don't perform, it doesn't remove you or not put you into the blessing of God. If you have faith in Jesus, you're already in the blessing of God. You're already in the favor of God. I remember reading that one day, and it was like, and I, and I always heard that it was like, we've been removed from the curse of the law because Jesus became a curse for us so that the, the blessing could come upon us. And it did say the blessing of Abraham could come upon us. Abraham was 430 years before the law. He had righteousness and he had blessing because of his faith, completely independent of his works. So that's why it says that Jesus took the curse of the law upon him so that we could have the blessing of Abraham come upon us, which is favor through faith. And included in the curse of the law is it's not just if you do bad, I'll punish you, but it's if you don't do good enough, you won't have the best of God. <laughs> Jesus came in and said, you don't have to. He's not saying that you don't have to. You can just live however you want and it, it won't make an impact. If you live like an idiot, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. I said that twice today. If you live totally like, a, like you're a slave unto the, the, the life that you came out of, you're going to reap the benefits of what the devil has to offer you. Living in sin and doing those kind of things are not good. I'm never an advocate for that. But what Jesus did, what God did through Jesus is he came in and he said, actually, you don't have to perform anymore for my favor to be upon you, for my grace to be upon you. Jesus did all the performance for you. All you have to do is put faith in Jesus and it's all yours. 100%, nothing holding back, it all belongs to you. Man, that's awesome sauce. Thank you, Jesus. Let me show you this. In Luke chapter 9, let's go to Luke chapter 9. Can you all take a few more minutes? See, come on, preacher man, keep giving it to me. Now the other half of you say it. No, you're the rebellious half, aren't you? You want me to be quiet. I'm just teasing. Let's pull Luke chapter 9 and verse 51 up there. Luke 9 and 51, and we're going to read through. 50, 56. Oh, I, I love this. This is so awesome. It says, now it came to pass when the time had come. I, I'm laughing because of the mentality of his disciples is like the mentality back then of how they were of the mentality of a lot of believers today. Listen to this. It says, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, 
do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? I'm just, I'm just imagining being there. And their mentality is like, oh, you know, they, uh, the, the, the people of, of old, that they didn't receive the Lord, and fire came down and consumed them. And oh, they're not receiving Jesus, and he's Lord. We want fire to come down. And I've met some believers today. Look, folks, we should pray for San Francisco. We should pray for Los Angeles. We should pray for New Orleans. We should pray for whatever area and state that you think is corrupt in the world. Because the truth is, is that God has come to save people and not to destroy them. And we're going to read that next. Verse 55. It says, but he turned and rebuked them. I have, there's a lot of Christians I would really... There are national leaders I would like to rebuke, but I don't have the authority to do it. He turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Jesus did not come to bring destruction in people's lives, even if their actions bear them having judgment. He came to save people. And that's what the propitiation of God will do. Thank you, Jesus. He came to, dis- to save and not to destroy. And it's really important that we represent God properly. We know this in John 10.10. 10, it says, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come, and this is Jesus speaking, but I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. This is uh, the most basic thing that every believer should know. And, and I know it's probably not most of the people in this room. There could be some. It's, but by and large, the church as a whole does not understand this. That God is good and has come to bring life and has come to bring blessing. And the devil is bad and has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So it seems to me from John 10, 10, that it's inconsistent for believers to ever say God did this or God allowed this or God wanted you to have this or he's trying to teach you a lesson. Look, you can learn lessons through going through bad stuff. Anybody ever went through something that was really bad and you learned a lesson through it? If you go through something bad, you should learn a lesson. If you don't learn anything, there's a good chance you're going to have to go through that thing again. But if you do, it won't be God punishing you. It will just be because of your own stupidity that you might have to go around the mountain again. I've been around the mountain several times with several different things in my life. It wasn't God making me go around the mountain. It's because I didn't learn my lesson, and it just caused me to have to go around the mountain again. So you can learn things through going, going through something, but that's not how God, that's not God's way of teaching you. Now, the Holy Spirit will work with you to teach you things when you go through something, but God's system is the Word because the Word is perfect. The Word is given for, for instruction, for uh, correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man or woman of God will be thoroughly equipped, lacking nothing. That's 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy chapter 3 around verse 16. So the Word of God is the thing that he's given to bring perfection in our life, not trials, not issues, not problems. This is really, really important that we understand this. Because when you go through something, if you think that God's bringing you through it, then you're not going to look to him to learn the lesson of whatever you can learn during the middle of the thing and to seek him for help to get out of it. 
And then why would you ever believe him to avoid any catastrophe in the future? Because it might be God leading you into something to teach you. Total garbage, total wrong theology. It's real simple. The devil is bad and God is good. We need to understand him properly and we need to relate to him properly. Listen to this. When God's character is revealed, his will is made known. When God's character is revealed, his will is made known. Do you know why I would know that the will of my wife is to never be a drunken floozy? Is because, sorry, you can handle it. Other people be like, he thinks I'm a drunken floozy if I use you as an example or whatever, all right? And I know she's not, and you know she's not. But you know how I know that that's not in her will? is because I know her character. When God's character is made known, his will is revealed. Man, when you know he's a God of, of love, of, that he cares for people, that he's a good dad, he's a good father, it, it literally becomes this, this thing on the inside of you to where all of a sudden you'll start to combat all the wrong theology that you heard over the years. Because I don't know about you all, but I sat in, in different churches for a while, and it was like every time sister so-and-so died, not every time they died, they only die once, but, you know, <laughs> whenever somebody would die or whatever something bad would happen, it was like, well, listen, I, this, this is how real this was for me and how important it was to come out of this mentality. When I was 14 years old, I lost my youth pastor in a car accident, and, you know, I mean, it totally devastated our youth group. It devastated um, all the kids, I mean, you can imagine, I and mean, this guy loved us and poured into us. We had like 80 kids in, a, in a, just a small country church that were coming and they, were, they got saved and they're set on fire by God and they didn't even understand the fire of God in the Baptist church, you know, but it was happening. It was really powerful. And this guy got killed in a car accident. And it was like, well, this time was up. And the Lord knew that somebody would get saved through this. And uh, there were some people that got saved through it. And through that mentality, they were going, well, God just needed him to die to be a sacrifice so that other people could come. No, Jesus was the only sacrifice so that people would come to the Father. The enemy came in and snuffed his life out, and we lost somebody that was extremely important to us, extremely influential, and was helping us grow. That was the devil. God was not involved with that whatsoever. I guarantee you there were roadblocks. There were things that, were, that God tried to stop it from happening, but the enemy, however, had his way and took that man's life, but it wasn't God. Listen to this in Psalm 5 and 4. And actually in Acts 10, 38, this is talking about, and I'm going to go to Psalm 5, 4, actually pull Psalm 5, 4 up there. But Acts 10, 38, it says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing what? Good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. God's in the healing business, not in any other kind of business. He's in the business of doing good. But listen to this in Psalm chapter 5 and verse 4. It says, for you are not a God. Because see, the thing even about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, it still revealed, God, it revealed God's nature and God's character. It's just, that, it's just that Jesus had not come in to cause people to relate through Jesus. They were having to relate to him through the law. You understand that. But if you read it properly, you can still see God's goodness and God's nature shining through it says, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. And I was reading that one day. I was like, I'm going to look up the word evil. Here's what evil means. It means adversity, affliction, bad, calamity, misery, harm, hurt, mischief, sore, sorrow, trouble, and to vex. It says, 
nor shall evil dwell with you. It's not just talking about sin or about wicked people in the earth. It's talking about bad things that would happen in our life. Those things don't come from God. They they don't dwell with God. They're not a part of who God is. He's a God of blessing. It's important to know this, that Jesus was the perfect representation of the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. This is very important to understand this, that Jesus was a perfect representation of the Father. Because I've met people that it's like, yeah, well, Jesus saved us, but God is really upset, and he's going to da-da-da, whatever, fill in the blanks. And it's like, wait a second, do you not realize that they are the exact same person? And God was kind of involved with Jesus coming to the earth and, and he, like, he had a stamp of approval on it because he wanted to accomplish something? But sometimes people don't realize that God and Jesus are the same person. They're both part of the Godhead. And when you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. So what you will never find, you cannot find anywhere in the writings about Jesus, anywhere where he put sickness on anybody, any, anywhere where he uh, was in favor of someone being broke or being hurt or having a bad marriage or having trouble in their life. No, you find Jesus bringing in solutions to every one of those problems that people had. He was never the one that was in agreement with saying, well, actually, you know, God, the Father really wants you to have this thing. But people and their religiosity, because they're trying to bring an explanation to why things are happening, they'll just, they'll just get into these, these weird philosophies and believe things about God that are not true. I determined a long time ago that regardless of what happens in my life, it's not going to change. It's not going to change what I know to be true about who God really is. Because I'm like everybody else in the room. I've experienced loss. I've experienced heartache. I've experienced turmoil. And I could go and list a whole bunch of stuff and it wouldn't do anybody any good. And you could list a whole bunch of stuff and it wouldn't do anybody any good. And there's things that we may never have answers as to why those things took place. But one thing we know for sure is that God didn't do it. One thing we know for certain is that God in the midst of it was still on our side. So in Hebrews 1 and verse 3, it says, who being the brightness, this is speaking about Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person. The word express there means an exact copy. Jesus was an exact copy of the Father. He wasn't similar. He wasn't just kind of like him. He didn't just kind of do something similar to what God would do. He was an exact copy of the Father. When you have seen Jesus then you have seen the Father. Because when you read things through just an Old Testament mindset, you could be like, God, I'm really not, do, do, you, uh, do you want me to be blessed? I think you do, but I got to jump through all these hoops. And that was never God's heart, and that's another message for another time. But when you look and you see Jesus, it's like, oh, God, there you are. Blessing, healing, love. You, you gave your life, and there's no greater love that anybody could have than they give up their life. God, you love me enough to give your life for me. Your character is perfect. Your thoughts towards me are nothing but perfect and loving and kind and virtuous. Look at this one last scripture verse here, and then we're going to quit. John 5, and in verse 19, John 5 and 19, It says, then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. And in verse 20, 
It says, for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. Think about this. For the father loves the son and shows him, shows the son all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Praise God. When you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. When you see the works of Jesus, you've seen the works of the Father. When you see the nature of Jesus, you see the nature of the Father. When you see the character of Jesus, you see the character of the Father. When you see Jesus heal, you see the Father heal. When you see Jesus feed the multitude, you see the Father feed the multitude. Does this make sense? This is extremely important. He must be represented properly. We need to understand him properly for our sake, but also that we represent him properly in the earth. Crazy important. Hallelujah. Amen. I was going to quit earlier and pray for people, but it's okay. So I'm just going to pray and just, just bless you. And I believe that this is going to go and you're going to run with this. Amen. In any of the areas where you've been thinking, God, is, why is this happening? Stop asking the why and start thanking them, him that he's a good God, that he's a God of blessing, that he's a God of favor. Amen? Would you just stand with me? Let me bless you. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for these saints. God, I thank you for this word that you are a good God. You're a God of favor, a God of blessing. And Lord, we could go on and on. I, I probably read 10 verses here. I could read 50 more, 100 more that would describe what I'm saying here. But Lord, I thank you that it's grounded, it's rooted, it's grounded in us. And Lord, this is one of those kind of messages where we take and we stick. Um, it really, it's not just sticking our tool belt, but it becomes a part of how we see you, of how we relate to you, of how we relate to other people about you. So when people are hurting and they're in trouble, we can look at them and say, I, I don't have the answers. Unless we do have the answers, that's great. But we might say, I don't have the answers. But what I do know is that God is on your side. I do know that God loves you. I do know that God cares about you. I do know that he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. I do know that he's with you in your sorrow. He's with you in, in whatever you're going through. And that God wants to see you come through it because he's a good God. He's a loving God. He thinks no evil. He thinks no wrong. He holds nothing against you because that's what love does. And God is love. His DNA is love. Everything about him is love. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you that this is set and settled in our heart from this day forward, that you are a good God. And every thought that would come up that would be of anything that would speak to God being anything except for good, which is really the cornerstone of all of our theology. That's what Bill Johnson said. It was very profound when I heard it. He said, the goodness of God is supposed to be the cornerstone of all of our theology. Stop relating to Job and start relating to Jesus. Thank you that you're a good God, and we're going to camp on that in the name of Jesus. Amen. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we're making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.